Hey everybody, this is Al Madrigal from The Daily Show and About a Boy, and you are listening to P.F.'s Tape Recorder. Enjoy. Hello there, I'm P.F., this is my tape recorder. Coming up, it's Des Bishop. To Eddie Brill, I was like a killer. <laughs> hey, when you're in New York, give me a call. I'll put you on in Caroline's on the, you know, on the new comedy night on Monday nights. I host that. So I show up in New York, clueless how to perform outside of Ireland. I go up on stage and I pretended that I was Irish. Didn't really know a lot about Des Bishop, and I felt badly, but then he explained uh, he's mostly been in Ireland. Uh, for the entirety of his comedy career. He was born in the United States. He moved to Ireland when he was 14 and started comedy there. And he's just now trying to make inroads into the U.S., so we'll chat with him. And uh, see, so we have a song of the week coming up from Diamante, my friend in California, Stans. We'll check her out. We'll see what's uh, what's going on there. And uh, a dumb bit from earlier in the year. I liked it, though, so I thought I'd let you folks listen to it again. This is a segment we like to call, I Thought It Was Funny. So just to bring you up to speed real quick, uh, I Thought It Was Funny is just uh, a little thing I saw in the news. I have a little bit of a punchline to it, and that's really all I have. I don't have a full bit for it. But perhaps you saw this. Well, the Daily Mail, Fox News, other outlets being slammed for sharing those photos. A lot of criticism actually being pointed towards this tweet from Fox News, which reads, Cosby Show actor Jeffrey Owens spotted bagging groceries at New Jersey Trader Joe's. And Yes, uh, the independent newspaper and Fox News here in the United States uh, both going after former Cosby Show actor Jeffrey Owens uh, because he was found working in a supermarket in New Jersey. But uh, first of all, here's the first weird thing about this is that number one, uh, dude is still a working actor. Looking at IMBD right now, he is uh, finishing production on a film. Uh, two films, actually, and he has been, he's one of these guys that's actually been in something every year. He has a guest shot in something every year. He was uh, in elementary this past year. He was in The Blacklist uh, the year before, and Lucifer, and Blue Bloods, and Divorce in 2016. So he's one of these guys that works, you know, regularly, and maybe that might not be enough to pay all of the bills. Likely, he also has to keep insurance. I don't know if, if, if one gig a year is enough to keep your insurance uh, in the Actors Guild or the Actors Union. I don't know anything about that. But what I find funny about this, in kind of a, well, a sad sort of way, but a funny uh, way nonetheless, is that Fox News, uh, this Fox News... People like Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton do not deserve to be called civil rights leaders. They are not. They are hustlers and pimps who make a living off inflaming racial tensions. Talking Points believes the day of the race hustlers is coming to an end. He went to foxnews.com and saw the story where race did suddenly come to the forefront. The reason Trayvon Martin died was because he looked a certain way. Fox News was shaming a black guy for having a steady job. I thought it was funny. Des Bishop is a stand-up comedian originally from New York City. He was sent to Ireland by his parents when he was 14, stayed there through college, and started comedy, and now he's back in the United States uh, trying to make some inroads here. And here now is our interview with Des Bishop. Hey, how you doing, man? Good. How you doing? Good. I can't 
Ah, cool, cool. All right, well, oh, first I wanted to ask you, uh, is it okay if we use the audio for this on my podcast? Oh, sure, yeah, you want to do that? No problem. Cool, man. All right, awesome. Yeah, it's always good to talk to somebody new. Um, have you performed in Minneapolis before? I don't remember ever having seen you on the on the schedule. I have never performed in Minneapolis. In fact, my only interaction with Minneapolis has been changing flights to Vancouver. Same. Well, not to Vancouver, but I've been to Minneapolis twice for an hour in the airport. Uh, I live in Cincinnati, so... <laughs> Uh, I've never been out in this in this city, but I heard it's a it's a great comedy town. So I'm guaranteed. Sorry, sorry, I, I I lost you there because my phone connected to my Bluetooth speaker. Sorry oh, okay, I was gonna say I've, I'm same as you. I've only been to Minneapolis twice for an hour in the airport to change flights. Uh, I live in Cincinnati, so um, but it's a great comedy town, and uh, you're, you're in for a good time. I, I can assure you. Yeah, I can't wait. I mean, I actually originally I was meant to uh, I was actually meant to do it in June, I think, and then. I had to I had to reschedule. So now now I'm there in the the dead of winter, which I think is the proper way to experience uh, Minnesota. You know. I was gonna say yeah. Um, so checking your backstory, I guess uh, I didn't realize you were you were born in the United States. You're uh, but you moved over to Ireland when you were a teenager. Yeah, yeah. I raised in Queens. I'm really like a I'm like an Irish guy with a New York accent because even though yeah. You know, I grew up in New York till I was 14. The majority of my life has been in Ireland. However, sorry about that, man. I, I had to just turn off my Bluetooth. It just kept yeah. popping over to my speaker. Oh, that's annoying. My wife's car does that. If I take her car and take my daughter to uh, school, when I come back, if she's on the phone with work, it'll automatically kick on. It'll cut her off on the phone, and then I'm getting the conversation in her car. And yeah, and you got to be careful, you know. You, right. you never want to. You never want that to happen when it suddenly cuts over. It's like I can't wait to see you again, baby. That that husband of yours, <laughs> <laughs> right? Can't stand. But anyway, that sorry about that. I don't know if I'm screwing up your audio. No, no, no. That's fine. I, I can edit it. Edit it and post, as we say in the biz. Uh, so you were saying you spent the majority of your life in Ireland, however, and that's where the Bluetooth kicked in. Uh yeah. So I, you know, like, so Irish people don't totally see me as a as an Irish person, really. Um, honorary Irishman at best and then Americans don't really see me as like a normal New Yorker even though my accent confuses them especially when when I get totally comfortable or particularly if I'm in a very bad mood the New York are very strong in my accent and it kind of throws people a little because in their minds they see me as like an Irish person so really I'm sort of like a I'm sort of like a stateless, uh, stateless comic or certainly my identity uh, is uh fluid so when you're over there though do you start to sound more irish because i'll tell you what i spend like three days in canada and i'm already saying oot and things like that uh you know I've, I, I pick up accents very quickly in places that, that i'm at does that happen to you or does it do you still pretty much sound like a new yorker when you're in ireland full-time no no i mean i definitely i definitely sound more irish when i'm in ireland it's not deliberate in fact we made fun of my dad you know my dad was like raised in ireland but lived in england most of his life had really more of an English accent. But then, you know, growing up in Queens, when he was with his Irish friends, he sounded a bit Irish. When he was with English people, he sounded English. And then when he was with Americans, he sounded more American. And we used to make fun of him, thinking that he was some sort of like a, like a phony. <laughs> but now I realize that it's, uh, it's subconscious. You don't need to do it. It just kind of happens. So when I'm in Ireland, particularly uh a few years ago. Nowadays that I've been in New York a bit more, my New York accent has kind of started to stabilize it. But uh, for years in Ireland, uh, you know, if people visited me from 
America in Ireland. They'd be like, oh my God, you sound so Irish. But then Irish people, if they were listening to me talk to an American, would be like, oh my God, you, you sound so much more American when you're talking to that person. And now Irish people always comment that I sound more American since I've been back living in you know. That's funny. I have a Scottish friend um, who has, is, he's a pretty strong Scottish accent, but his wife, who's American, was telling me once, she goes, oh, no, 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 no. When he talks to his friends and family back home, he's dumbing it down for us. So you can't understand a word he's saying. <laughs> well, Irish people actually tell me that, uh, you know, Irish that live in New York, but particularly, you know, I was just in Canada actually just doing a bit of skiing, and the Irish over there were telling me that they literally have to, like, consciously slow down because people cannot understand a word that they're saying. In fact, a British comedian, Jason Manford, actually a very famous comedian in the UK, but not very well known here, he was in the Comedy Cellar a few weeks ago, and he told me that once or twice they definitely didn't understand what he was saying. Not so much that they didn't get the joke, but literally he realized he was probably speaking too fast and they didn't quite get him, uh, you know? Yeah. You know, it's it's weird. I found out that happens in other languages, which makes sense. You know, Carmen Lynch, uh, I don't know if you know her. She sure, I've, I've spoken to her many times about doing comedy in a different language. Yeah, yeah, and she's Spanish, and sometimes she, you know, she, her set she does in Spanish, first of all, a lot different than her English-speaking set. And then she says sometimes, you know, uh, different Spanish-speaking audiences don't quite understand her, maybe because they don't have the same slang. And that never occurred to me, and then I realized I ran into a guy in the airport a couple of years ago. My mom's French. And uh, he was French, and he goes, you know, when I go to Quebec, I have to ask him to speak English because I can't understand their French. And I'm like, oh, that's... Yeah, well, I heard that the Quebec French is is, uh, is tough. But, like, you know, it's just, uh, it just it, you, you just got to get an ear for, like, a dialect, you know? And uh, I, I do notice uh, sometimes that uh, Americans and Canadians really struggle with the Irish accent. Uh, but also, like, in, uh, you know, I was in China for a long time, and... Uh, like the, the southern Chinese struggle with the northern Chinese. I mean, that's like a universal problem. Yeah, and I, it didn't, I guess as the world becomes smaller in a way, people, I guess, start to realize that, that even though you speak the same language, maybe you don't always speak the same language. What I, Churchill may or may not have said, I, this may have been debunked, but we're a, we're a people uh, divided by a common language. The Americans. Yeah, right. Churchill gets a lot of quotes that he didn't actually say. I know. <laughs> I need to look that one up to make sure. Um, so, just as a, in a final, a final note on yeah. that, you know, in China, there's so many dialects that even though people are speaking, you know, largely speaking versions of Mandarin on the national television, they still put subtitles on everything, just like characters. They put Chinese character subtitles on everything, not just... Uh, not just stuff that's not in Chinese, oh, yeah. but they just there's always subtitles on everything in China. Hmm, that's interesting. Um, we sometimes do that here with Netflix, uh, with some shows because you know you can't. You, a lot you know. of people, yeah, a lot of people need to put subtitles on Peaky Blinders. Yes, yes, we had to do that. Because <laughs> exactly. yeah. I was, at, I mean, I listen to a lot of like Radio One and stuff like that. So I have a my ears a little better tuned to it. But yeah, it's like you're saying, if if it's going by too fast, you're like, wait, what? <laughs> Are you a Peaky Blinders fan? Uh, we started watching it, but then uh, my wife didn't really stan, so uh, if, if she's not watching it too, I don't have any extra time to watch stuff. So, uh, <laughs> you guys have to go together. <laughs> yeah, it, it's true. Because, you know, we have time to watch TV at night for about an hour. Usually we fall asleep during something, then I have to go back and figure out where we left off, so it, it's kind of crazy. But yeah, I, I might revisit, because I'd enjoyed the, the couple episodes I saw, so... Yeah, yeah, my it's a huge show, but I've, I've noticed it's kind of popular. Yeah, we were uh, big Skins fans here. Um, oh, really? Yeah. I, 
something I never got into. That. A friend of mine was in it for a while, John Bishop, but that's something that's not a relation, oh. but a comedian buddy of mine. But yeah. uh, I never got into that. But that was uh, that was uh, quite quite a big success. It's when you mentioned John Bishop because I just recognized him, Bishop, and he was on uh, Breakfast with Greg James uh, last week. And I thought, I thought, wait, was Des Bishop on with Greg James? Like, no, it was, di- it was a different uh, comedian name. Na- yeah, Bishop. John is huge, like really big in the UK. But actually, yeah. myself and John go way, way back to like the beginning of my career. I worked with him in Liverpool, and I mean, we got on well anyway. But we always had this weird sort of connection via our name, even though we're not related. Right. And uh, you know, I guess originally I got quite successful in Ireland, and then John used to come over, and, you know, talk to me about like being successful. Then he got like three times as successful in the UK. And uh, so we kind of crisscross in each other's paths, but uh, we don't see each other as much as we used to. But he's he's definitely one of the best, one of the best human beings in comedy, like a genuine guy. And, you know, got into the game very late and had like a real normal life, you know, worked for a pharmaceutical company, raised his family as like a a normal guy until his mid-30s. He said, screw it, I'm doing it. And uh, it worked out. But it's a very interesting story that he has. That's so cool. Yeah, the only time I really get exposed to uh, British or Irish comedians is when they appear on the BBC, and so it's 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 a nice uh, avenue to to get exposed to the to that. Well, you are the exception to the rule because I can assure you that nobody in Minnesota will know a thing about me. So I definitely need help to get people there. You know, when I do gigs in the states, if there's like an Irish population in the town, I do pretty well, like Boston, okay. New York. Uh, you know, uh, like some some cities in Canada, like Calgary, there's like a whole crew there. But if if the Irish aren't there, I really rely on the word of mouth and uh, stuff like this, you know. So as far as you getting into comedy, when you, you, I guess you started over in Ireland because that's you were there from when you were like 15 or 16. So is it does it work the same way? Do you go to open mics? Do you do people tell you were funny? You should be on a stage somewhere. Well, yeah, I mean, I went to Ireland when I was 14, but when I was in college. Uh, coincidentally enough, I was in the Drama Society with Killian Murphy, who's the lead of Peachy Blinders. That's kind of why I was asking you that. Oh, okay. We were all in the, the Drama Society in college. This comedy club opened up in, in in our little college town, and it was like a it wasn't a, it wasn't like a proper established comedy club. It was like a Wednesday and a Sunday night in a nightclub. But a friend, a guy I knew from not drinking, like I, I stopped drinking. I was nineteen, and I knew this guy through that world. And he uh, used to let us get in for free because he was hosting the show. And then they used to have these joke competitions, not open mics, just literally get up and tell a joke like Irishman, Italian, Scots, walk into a bar type thing. And the crowd would cheer for their favorite joke. And then you would like win a bottle of something or whatever. I can't remember, free entry in the next week. But I used to get up and tell a joke or whatever. And then one one week, I, I just, I kind of went off on one about, off on a little tangent, which probably wasn't that funny, but uh, the audience were getting a kick out of it. And then that buddy of mine was like, you've got to try comedy. Like, this is, you know, enough's enough. I think he had been sort of saying it to me already. And he said, in two weeks' time, you're doing a spot. And he gave me, he said, you're doing 20 minutes. You know, because there was no, like, there was no, like, infrastructure of new comedians there. There was no, like, open mic nights, or there was no sense of, there was literally nothing in that town other than this college comedy club and then another comedy club that did not do open mics. They just brought headliners in from Dublin and from the UK and sometimes the United States. And anyway, long story short, two weeks later, I did 20 minutes. Of course, 15 of that must have sucked. I mean, who knows what was happening. I had a lot of friends in, so I'm sure the vibe was decent. But there was certainly enough moments in it that I was like totally hooked. 
Uh, I shouldn't have ever been given 20 minutes, but luckily there was just literally nobody in that town. And once I decided I wanted to do it, I think that club gave me a few spots almost straight away. And then they were looking for new comedians for this comedy competition up in Dublin. And I got put into that comedy competition. And because I was an American who knew about Ireland, I just very quickly kind of skipped to the head of the queue of people that the industry, quote unquote, was looking at. And before I knew it, that was February 2000, uh, February 97 was my first show. And in June of 97, I moved to Dublin and started trying to like make a go of it. I still came back and did my final year of college in Dublin. But for that summer, I was like trying to sort of make it as a comedian. But it was very easy because it wasn't like New York, you know, there wasn't that many comics. So if you had any promise at all, you were going to get stage time pretty quick. So when did you first perform in America? Actually, I mean, I really, I, I, I'm not going to, the very first time I ever performed in America, I had gotten to know Eddie Brill. I don't know if you knew who he was, yeah, he but to book he, the you don't Elite hear show. as much nowadays, but he used to book the Letterman Show. Yeah. And he used to come to Cork. He used to come to the college town that I was living in and uh, headline at this club. And by that stage, by the time he had come, I guess I was doing comedy a year. But in that local town, I very quickly became like, a little known because I, you know, I was doing all the local stuff, you know, like just like easy local stuff, but they had never seen that before. So to Eddie Brill, I was like a killer. Yeah. <laughs> so Eddie Brill said, Hey, when you're in New York, give me a call. I'll put you on in Caroline's on the, you know, on the new comedy night on Monday nights. I host that. So I show up in New York clueless how to perform outside of Ireland. I go up on stage and I pretended that I was Irish and tried to talk about like New York stuff as an Irish guy, which is essentially what I was doing in Ireland, the opposite way around. Okay. And I totally, I totally bombed. <laughs> fucking terrible. And Eddie Bill was like, what are you doing, bro? What the fuck? Like, who, who are you? Why are you pretending to be Irish? Like, what's your, what's your problem? So the, the, the next time I performed in, after that, this New York Irish comedy festival. And uh, by then, better comic, you know, by then I kind of knew what I was doing. So these days, is your American set a lot different from your Irish sex? And it's a lot of observational stuff that I would think would translate both ways. Yeah, I mean nowadays it's kind of like in the, it, nowadays it's kind of irrelevant. Like the early part of my career, my stuff was like heavily sort of Irish observations, and then I would leave Ireland and I would really be stuck. You know, in more recent times, I've just naturally just write a lot more universal stuff, and then. Mostly, if I go back to Ireland, I can sort of, I can season it up or like ramp it up by a couple of notches by adding in the Irish, which they love. But the majority of it works. I mean, I live in New York now. I work in the cellar pretty much every night. So all the stuff I'm writing is all, you know, geared towards, you know, things that people understand. Anyway, plus, you know, I got older. I started doing a lot of stuff about getting older, nostalgia for the past. And, you know, all that stuff is, you know, it's, it's fairly... You know, it's fairly universal, you know. So it's not so much of an issue now. It's just like, you know, plus, you know, over the years doing the Edinburgh Festival, stuff like that, I wrote a lot of, you know, sort of one-man type shows. But, you know, those themes were also kind of universal, like stuff about my dad being sick, you know, or, you know, less serious stuff like, you know, sexual taboos, you know, whatever, you know, and all that stuff is just totally universal. So you're based here now? I'm kind of 50-50. I okay. mean, I don't like saying I'm based here because uh, it feels like I'm being a traitor to Ireland, but I have an apartment in New York, 
So, you know, I'm really, I'm really just trying to develop my career in the United States. But I really feel like I'm trying to develop my career in the United States as a, as a, as a foreigner, even though, uh, you know, even though I'm, I'm American. Yeah. So I still see it. I still see it as an experiment that may or may not come off. Uh, and I don't disconnect from Ireland. Like I'm doing an Irish tour February, March. Still have my place in Dublin. My brother actually lives over there now too. So he lives in my house in Dublin. So I keep connected to both places. And like, for example, when I post on social media, I'm always conscious that I'm really speaking to Irish people, not to Americans. So, you know, a lot of the stuff that I do still sort of is like an Irish slant. So it's still sort of like, well, this is what's going on in America for me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So you'd be a good person to ask about this because a lot of, especially in our our political climate, you know, we have a lot of people saying that they they want to they want to leave this country because of you know uh, what's happening in, in Washington, and I have a lot of Canadian people. And I'm a big Canophile. I love Canada, and a lot of and first Canadian comedians think that I'm pulling their leg, and then they realize, oh, I guess that does make sense why you'd like Canada. But a lot of them would, will say, and, if, and I heard um, uh, what's it, uh, Scott Thompson from Kids in the Hall tell Mark Marin this. He's like, you don't want to live there, especially if you're a, a comedian, a celebrity, somebody's trying to really make it big because you can only make it so big in Canada. But there's still a lot of things that they say are nice about it and that healthcare is taken care of so people aren't as stressed out. What do you say to people who would have a notion of moving to Ireland because they just can't take it anymore? Well, I mean, first of all, as a comedian, living in the sort of Ireland-UK axis, because they're not the one thing, but yeah. if the United States is the circuit, you know, New York, LA, and everything in between, you know, Dublin, London, Edinburgh, Glasgow, like all those cities are way more accessible. I mean, essentially you're talking about like the New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania area, but with a ton of big cities and an audience of people that are dying to go see shows, you know, like way, you know, per capita, there's a lot more people going to comedy clubs in Ireland and the UK than there is in the United States, right? So in terms of being a comedian, particularly in the 90s, that was like a thing, a lot of American. Uh, North American comedians went to the UK to work. So uh, for a comedian, you'd say, yeah, I mean, you definitely could, could make a go of it. Uh, you know, you, you, there's uh, like way more social services, all the things you're talking about, like healthcare is more looked after, there's, you know, social welfare if you're struggling, stuff like that. Uh, but as a comedian, you would probably miss the edge or miss the sense of being in the place where it's really happening, you know? Yeah. And most comedians nowadays, comedians that come from Ireland to the UK, when they come to the States, they do feel like it's just a more dynamic, uh, it's more dynamic industry, maybe more creatively inspiring, uh, more like competitive in a positive way where you, you know, you watch a lot of people that are just doing amazing stuff and think like, my God, you know, I got to up my game. You know, it does feel a bit more dynamic here nowadays. I think some North American comics used to go to the UK late 90s, early 2000s and feel that over there. But I think nowadays, largely because the industry changed and, you know, with Netflix and Amazon, like there's just so much investment in ideas coming out of the United States that it's just an energy over here that people pick up on immediately. And how about for the lay person? Because I'm just a journalist. I mean, I could probably do this person i mean listen living in uh, living in ireland is a great place to live if you if you want like a small city life with a lot of rain but great <laughs> people laid back relaxed you know 
it, it, Ireland's great. I mean, I miss Ireland when I'm living in New York. I mean, I love the excitement of New York, but I miss my friends. I miss the, the, the crack, as we call it. You know, there's just a natural sort of ease that everybody has with each other in Ireland that you don't really get anywhere else. In, well, maybe New Zealand. You know, there's only a few places in the world where you get that natural comfortability between strangers. Uh, so you, you, you do kind of miss that. And it's not like a... It's not like a folksy small town America niceness. Not that I'm dismissing that, but it, it feels a little bit more uh, not not like politeness. It actually feels like like a like a like a natural connection that you have immediately. And it's very hard to articulate that. Irish people always feel it when they leave Ireland. The lack of that sometimes they can actually almost turn it into resentment because they feel like. You know, people are rude, but they just don't realize that Ireland's one of the only places in the world where you're like somebody's best friend after yeah. you shake their hand. So all that stuff is nice. You get into it. So anyone that very few people move to Ireland and think, oh, I'd hate that place. Yeah, <laughs> I hate this place. I, I've never, yeah, I've never really heard that. Um, well, great, man. This is what a great chat. This was a lot of fun. Um, uh, this will be in print and online in City Pages the week that you're up there, of course. And then uh, hopefully we can get you here in Cincinnati as well. Uh, yeah, I just got to get these 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 club bookers to to believe in me, you know. There you go. Well, I, I'll I know the one booker at the one club here. Uh, I will pass along your info. Uh, and oh, thanks for 2019. Yeah, because uh, it's nice to see some because we do have some favorites that we like to see, like every club does, you know. But then of there course. are also some open dates, so hopefully we can get. And then we have a big comedy festival here in the in August called Bruhaha. So. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. So look that up. And, um, yeah, and, uh, you could submit for that. And they're always looking for, like, you know, uh, uh, did you, well, they used to do it three nights. This year they only did it two nights. So they need at least two big headliners, uh, like Tom Arnold did it last year. And, uh, I can't remember who else we, we've had before. My, my mind isn't going blank. But then we have, then there'll be some big features before that. So, um, and then a lot of, uh, regional and local, uh, comics. Um, I performed there once as a, at, at the last minute that a friend of mine was in China. So the club book, the guy that books the club runs, also runs a Bruja and he says, Hey, do you want to do 10 minutes? And I'm like, sure. <laughs> and then I later found out he, I was asked because some other guy dropped out at the last minute, but Hey, I'll take it. <laughs> hey, damn right. Yeah. That's yeah, great. Yeah. So I've yeah, never, I've never set foot in the state of Ohio. So oh, you need to. You need to. It is, it is, uh, I think it's the quiz that you always like on TV when they want to have the quintessential American place that's not on the coast, people always come from Ohio, and uh, and I think that is a, for a reason because you know it's it's partially very rural, but we also have several big metropolitan areas, so it's a nice mixture of both rural America and not coastal but big city America. So, oh, uh, can't wait. Yeah. Well, great, man. Um, I'll let you get on with the rest of your day. Thanks for taking the time. Really appreciate it. Thanks, man. Thanks, Thanks nice guys. chatting to you. All right, have bye-bye. a good one. Bye. Thanks again to Des Bishop for being on the show. You can catch Des, let me see, January 3rd through 6th at the House of Comedy in Bloomington, and we were talking about in the interview. And then his last U.S. date for a while, January 9th through 12th at Zany's in Chicago. And then it looks like he's over in uh, Ireland and then over to Australia. And uh, he's back in the United States in March, I believe. Yes, in Boston. Uh, at Laugh Boston, March 7th through 9th. So do check him out. Any other Des Bishop information you need, Des Bishop. 
Net. There you go. All right. Usual plugs. Nearly Liza. She's uh, trying to get her YouTube channel back up and running. Uh, she had a great semester at school, so uh, I'd rather, of course, be uh, being, paying attention to her studies instead of making videos, but maybe she can make some videos over one or break here. Same thing with Check Check Hey. Uh, check out her blog, uh, if you would please. And then again, uh, let me see. Like I mentioned before, we're up to our Song of the Week with Diamante. I was going to pick... Uh, a different song for Song of the Week, but I was kind of thumbing through Instagram uh, this morning, and my friend in California um, said congratulations to Diamante. I don't know what the congratulations was for exactly. I, I think it's because uh, a song that she is featured on made it into the Hot 100, and I guess she's some kind of, uh, she started off on YouTube, one of those situations. Not sure, but it's in Freegal. Uh, the whole album is The Tune is Haunted is the one that my friend highlighted, and uh, it's a little rockier than I thought it was going to be. I was expecting something a little, little dancier, just kind of from what I saw of Diamante when I looked her up, and then when I listened to it, uh, it's a little rockier than it looks. I'll see what you think. The tune is called Haunted. It's our song of the week on PF's tape recorder. So long, and thanks for listening. I'll follow you into the dark I'll be the shadow creep